listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Monday show for you. We're going to talk about NBA free agency a lot. We're also going to talk about that gambling story in the NFL. Going to relate it to some of the other gambling stories in sports. The New York Mets are an absolute abomination. Just finished up a horrible month of June. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I saw a story this past weekend. But a lot of stuff going to be talked about in regards to the NBA draft, focusing on, I guess, a little bit of the Western Conference with the Lakers and Suns and what they did, and maybe get to some baseball notes at the end of this thing. We'll get to all that momentarily. So let's begin talking about the story that came on Thursday of last week with the NFL coming down hard on some players that got suspended for a full year for betting on football, whether it was they're betting on their own team or they're betting on sports, non-football related, non-NFL related, but betting while they were still in the team facilities. And it's strictly written in the new rules now that, okay, and you can't do that. And we're talking about players that are kind of fringe players. There's no superstars that have been caught in this yet. I really would be surprised if there was. Hell, I'm already surprised that guys that are on a 53-man roster who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars even on the low end of a hundred thousands of six figures are betting $500 on a football game. It just, when you have that much, what are you doing? You know, it doesn't seem like anyone's in over their head either. It's not like we're hearing some guy has a major problem and he's putting in thousands and thousands of bets and he's doing it every single weekend. And we're just hearing about like, Oh, this guy put a, the, the guy Isaiah Rogers for the Colts put in a thousand dollar prop bet that a Colts rusher would go over a hundred yards Yes, that's definitely worth getting suspended for because that is leaning on knowing the game plan for that weekend, and maybe he knew the Colts were planning on running the ball down whoever's throat. So clearly it would, if you knew that and you know your team's game plan, and it says the over-under for Jonathan Taylor this particular Sunday was for him to rush over 81 yards, yeah, it would make sense for you to put a 1000 bucks on it if you're on that team and you know the game plan. But I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about, like, who can really affect the outcome of a game and what sport is probably the easiest to affect the outcome of a game? To me, it's basketball. And to me, it's, and we saw this with the Tim Donaghy scandal, it's officials, and it's only officials affecting the over-under because I don't think officials can really, truly affect the outcome of a game going into the game. Now, once you got to the end of the game, if it's close, by all means you can. But you have to place your bets before a game. I mean, I, if you're an official and you're, and, you're, and you're covering that game and you're actually doing something legally and betting on the game, you would have to put in your bet before the game. Yes, I know there's live betting, but an official can't live bet, as, as far as I know, as he's running up and down the court. So maybe halftime he could do something. But what I'm saying is this. The NFL has 11 players on offense and 11 players on defense. Even if you had the quarterback in your crosshairs and you had him and you were paying him millions of dollars to throw the game, which has happened in the past. Wasn't Dan Pastorini a long time ago involved in this? I just think it's way too hard, especially nowadays. Every quarterback in the NFL is making $25 million. Who are you getting to throw a game for, for you? I just don't think it's worth it. It's not worth it to them because they have nothing to gain from it other than criticism and a possible benching. Money? 
If he's already making $25 million a year, are you really going to give him $25 million to throw one game? No. So I think you can just throw football out the window. Even if you had a quarter, even if you had, if you knew the backup was starting that week and somehow you got to the backup quarterback, what is he going to do? Just keep throwing interceptions on purpose? Like, I think it might be obvious at one point, at some point. Plus, if he does three or four interceptions in the first half, the coach is going to yank him anyway. So you have no control over that. Baseball, I mean, I guess you could, but again, it could only be a pitcher because you can't be like, oh, as a hitter, you have to strike out every time. Great. What if all the other eight hitters in the lineup do really well that night? That's fine. You're never, you can't control that. The only way you could do something in baseball, again, would be a pitcher. Maybe getting an umpire uh, to call a big strike zone. So you can get you can bet an under or have a small strike zone. You can bet the over, but still that doesn't guarantee anything. Even if you had a pitcher on the take, what's a pitcher going to do? The catcher throws down the sign to get a hitter out. You go over how you're going to approach every hitter in baseball with your catcher before the game. If the catcher says, we got to work this guy away, he's susceptible to off-speed stuff low and away, and the catcher's throwing down signs and you're like, no, I want to pump fastballs right down the middle of the plate, I think the catcher might think you were on the take. So I don't think that happens in baseball. Now, basketball, there's only five people playing at a time. And while still, I think it's still very, very difficult because you would almost have to have the whole team because even if you said to the best player, we need you guys to lose this game or we have a shit ton of money on you to win this game, I... It's much easier to to miss baskets than make them because you're always trying to make them. You can put up shots and purposely miss. But you would almost have to have two or three players out of the five, the main five on the team. And even that doesn't guarantee you anything because you can't make it obvious as a player, you know? You're just sitting out there, just throwing bricks out there. And it, it would I think it might be obvious especially if there's major line movement. It's it's how the Arizona State scandal was uncovered back with Headache Smith and all that. There was major line movement on a Pac-12 game involving Arizona State, and then they just started, and they started playing poorly. And it was just like, okay, this red flag's here. But I think the one thing, gambling-wise, that could be dictated is referees. Now, and even this isn't a guarantee, but with the Tim Donahue situation, a lot of it had to do with the over-under because a, a referee can put a team in the bonus very, very early if they wanted to in a quarter. We've seen it. We talked about it during this postseason. Remember I was saying like, oh, yeah, the Warriors were in the bonus three minutes into the second quarter against the Kings, or the Kings were in the bonus with nine minutes left in the second quarter. So that means every foul from then on, clock stops, and the team's going to the line for free throws, which would lend towards an over. I think it would be very tough to do an under because even if you tell the referee that is on the take, hey, don't call a lot of fouls, let the clock run, what if both teams are shooting real well that game? You can't stop them from making shots. So it would seem to be, if you take the three major sports, not the easiest, but the one that could be affected the most would be getting a referee in the NBA on the take and betting it over and just telling him to call a lot of fouls. Everything else, I don't think there's any guarantee. I think you have a better guarantee for a game to go over if you have a refereeing crew that's calling a bunch of fouls and is stopping the clock 
and there's just a parade to the free throw line. Hell, people think the Lakers in Sacramento in what game, what was it, game five or game six back in the early 2000s? They thought that was on the take because the Lakers shot so many free throws. But uh, and Tim Donaghy, you know, got busted for this. He I mean he admitted we I was on the take. I I owed money to get I owed money to people, and this is what I did. So it can happen. I just think it's it's still very hard nowadays, just because there's so much. There's so many watchdogs on this, and they will see line movement. They'll see money coming in on certain games. And if it's, you know, Ball State against Bowling Green, and there's an inordinate amount of money bet on that game, and the line moves a lot, and then all of a sudden the game starts, and there's some fishy action going on, yeah, you could get to college kids. But now with NIL, maybe you don't get to college kids because college kids can make money before – it seemed a lot easier to get to college kids because even if they're on scholarship, they weren't making any money. You couldn't make money as a college student. You had room and board paid for, but you barely had any money to do anything else. So that was the they were the easy ones to prey on because if you got to a kid and said, hey, you can make this money if you throw this game, it was possible. It's just a, it hasn't happened a lot, and I don't think this is going to be a, a major thing in pro sports, just because the money that's being made by these people now, as opposed to the 70s and 80s, is it's astronomical. It's not even in that sphere anymore. So I don't think it's going to change, but we will keep our eye on it going forward for sure. So let's talk a little bit about NBA free agency over the weekend. Um, you read anybody who's been covering this, you listen to anybody who's been covering this over the last three days, the L.A. Lakers absolutely get an A-plus for what they've done in the offseason. They've done everything they wanted to do heading in. Look at what they've done. They have <laughs> they signed seven guys. I don't think anybody's signed more than, like, three. They signed Torian Prince for a one-year deal for $4.5 million. They signed Gabe Vincent away from Miami for three years and $33 million. They re-signed Rui Hachimura for three years and $51 million. They re-signed Austin Reeves for four years, $56 million. They re-signed D'Angelo Russell for two years and $37 million. And they also pick up Cam Reddis and Jackson Hayes on two-year deals. Like, their team is set. I mean, unless they have a big trade they're looking to do, but you're starting five. A starting five, mind you, that got to the Western Conference Finals, and in three of the four games against Denver, it was a one-possession game with less than a minute left. Yeah, Denver swept them, but don't tell me the Lakers weren't the second-best team in the West at the end of the season last year because they were. Now you got that whole team, and remember, that whole team was put together at the trading deadline, so they had only played together since February. And by the end of the season, they were the second-best team in the Western Conference, if not the second-best team in the NBA come playoff time. Now they've got everybody coming back. So your starting five next year was your starting five at the end of the playoffs. You got D'Angelo Russell starting at the point. You've got Austin Reeves starting at the two. And then probably Rui Hachimura is going to start at the power forward this year with LeBron and AD as rounding out your five. But now you've got a bench of Gabe Vincent coming off the bench, Torian Prince, Jackson Hayes, Cam Reddish. I mean, you still got Jared Vanderbilt, and who knows – who else they're looking to bring on? And, you know, I I don't know how much cap room they have left, and anybody they sign is going to be for very minimal, but maybe you get a vet in there, another vet that can come off the bench and give you 15 to 20 minutes a game. But they are abs- – I mean, everybody is raving about what the Lakers did because they did everything that they needed to. Now, the Phoenix Suns, 
I think you'll find two different opinions on what they did. Name-wise, bringing in Bradley Beal and keeping DeAndre Ayton, that gives you a hell of a core four there. I just don't know how good this team is defensively. And then you sign Eric Gordon yesterday. So now you've got a starting five of the sons of Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton. Probably top two starting five in the NBA next year. However, defensively, not good. And their bench is Cameron Payne, Josh Okogi, Yuta Watanabe, Chimizi Metu, and Drew Eubanks. That's their next five. So, yes, all you need those guys to do is when they come in the game, not blow any lead that your starters get you. And if your starters don't get you a lead, those guys are going to be the ones that are going to have to keep it close and don't make the deficit even bigger. I don't know how good those guys are, and I don't know how good that's going to be rolling with that starting five. It's almost like, yes, the Suns will be able to score on anybody, but we've said this time and time again since I started the Sports Daily. The NBA playoffs is about getting stops, and who's going to be good in the last five minutes of a game? Because most of these games end up being close. Look at the Lakers and the Nuggets series. Nuggets just executed better three of the four games down the stretch. The other game, they had a big enough lead where they didn't have to worry about it. But it comes down to we know that the pace slows in the playoffs, and we know that execution in the last five minutes is crucial to whether or not you advance in the playoffs or not. Now, the Phoenix Suns will have a great offensive team to throw out on the floor of Booker, Gordon, Beal, Durant, and Ayton in any final five minutes. What they don't have is really much of a defensive presence. I don't know how good this team is defensively. And nothing about that bench scares me in the least bit. Cameron Payne, Josh Okogie, Yuta Wananabe, Chimezi Metu, and Drew Eubanks. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even know who Drew Eubanks was. <laughs> I, I don't even remember where he went to college. I need to Google this guy now. Hold on. Drew Eubanks. I don't even... Who'd he play for in college? Oh, Oregon State. No wonder. Can't really say that they're a basketball powerhouse. He was drafted. He was undrafted in 2018. So he's an undrafted player five years ago out of Oregon State. Played for Spurs for a little bit. Played for the Trailblazers. He signed a 10-day contract on March 14th and then signed another one. Then on April 3rd, he signed a contract for the rest of the season. And then on July 7th of last year, he they re-signed him to a one-year deal. His career stats are, well, he played he played 78 games reported last year. Started 28. Played 20 minutes a game. Averaged six points and five rebounds. Okay, see, I mean, he's a role player. It's not like he's going to Phoenix and I thought that this was some sort of Bafo signing, but I didn't even heard of the guy. And I follow the NBA pretty closely. Never heard of this guy. So uh, I'd, I don't, I wouldn't say the Suns are the winners. The Lakers won the postseason or the free agency so far. I mean, they've got, they've got their team ready to go for next year. And if they were the second best team, if not maybe the third best team in the NBA when the season ended, and now they've got everybody back and then some and everybody back that's going to have a full 
offseason and a full training camp under their belt heading into 2023-24, of course, we know this all is going to depend on LeBron and AD's health. LeBron is over 60,000 minutes for his career. He's going into season 21. He's going to be 39. I mean, this is unheard of that a guy this old with this many miles on his tires is still playing at the level he is in the NBA. So I think what the Lakers are going to do is monitor, you know, they're going to definitely load manage with LeBron next year. They have to. LeBron can't play 82 games. He can't even play 70. You don't even want him playing that many games. It's not going to help them. You need LeBron healthy for the playoffs. Now, Grant, anybody can blow out a knee or hurt their ankle or twist their ankle on any play in any game. He can hurt it in game one. He can hurt it in game seven of the NBA Finals. But you can't you can't basically put your team in that position where it's like, well, if we play LeBron too much, he might sprain his ankle. Like, you just play him. But you're not going to wear him out. You can't have him playing 82 games. And we know AD doesn't play 82 games. He plays about 60 a year. So... Um, and we all know now, after what happened this past season with the Lakers getting the seven seed, but having an eighteen and nine or nineteen and nine record down the stretch, and the Miami Heat being an eight seed getting to the NBA Finals, Lakers seven seed getting to the Western Conference Finals, that it won't even matter what anybody's record is during the NBA regular season anymore. It doesn't. All that matters is how are you playing when you get to the playoffs, and can you pull off an upset or two or three, or can you just advance in the playoffs? And this Laker team with a full year under their belt and a training camp under their belt and however many games they all play together next year, they're going to be dangerous. I mean, this is Lakers and Denver coming out of the West. I don't see anybody really contending. Phoenix will be right underneath them. They're probably the next tier just because of that offense they can throw out there. But defensively, uh, come close games at the end, I don't know how good Phoenix is going to be defensively. They went out and hired a defensive-minded head coach in Frank Vogel, who won a title with the Lakers in the bubble because the Lakers were the best defensive team in the NBA that year in the bubble and during the whole season. But they also had defensive players. And, I, you know, Devin Booker doesn't scream defensive stalwart. Eric Gordon's not a defensive player. Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, I mean – even Aiton is just kind of a space cadet sometimes out there. I mean, sometimes he's engaged, and then sometimes when he's not touching the ball, he's a whiner. So I'm not sold on the Suns team as much as some other people are, but they I know they're going to score a shit ton of points. They might be one of these regular season teams where they win 55 to 60 regular season games because it's such a different game in the regular season because you're playing a different team every night and every night not the same team seven straight times in a playoff series where they can you know find your tendencies they know exactly what you're going to run and they can lock you down a little bit more as opposed to hey we're playing in OKC on Wednesday night and on Friday night we're playing in Chicago and then Sunday we're in Minnesota and it's just all one game series for 82 games we all know the playoffs are a completely different animal and it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season anymore, as evidenced by what we just saw this past season. So right now, those are the two that I want to talk about. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about the signings that happened all across um, free agency. Not a lot of guys switch teams, and I'm still waiting for that big one to where something happens. But maybe it won't. Maybe it won't. But not a lot of guys switch teams. Most guys just re-upped with their own team. So the Mets were on Sunday Night Baseball last night against the Braves, or not against the Braves, against the Giants, and I didn't know what happened <laughs> to the Mets um, this season. All I knew going into the season, they had the highest payroll in all of baseball, and it wasn't even close. 
They, you know, went out and got Justin Verlander in the offseason. Uh, they've got Max Scherzer already, Francisco Lindor. I mean, they've got a lot of guys. They re-signed Jeff McNeil, um, Edwin Diaz, the highest-paid reliever, but then he blew out his knee in the WBC. Anyway, going into June 1st, the New York Mets were three and a half games out of first place in the NL East. Going into Saturday, which was July 1st, they were 18 and a half games out of first place. They lost 15 games in a month. I didn't even know you could do that. What? And, and again, the reason you do that is because they went 6 and 19 in the month of June. And I know that the Atlanta Braves have gone 15 and 1 in their last 16 games. So that's about 12 games right there. And that's just the last half of June for the Braves, winning 15 out of 16. So I had no idea the Mets lost 15 games in a month to the first place team. They're terrible. And they're the biggest embarrassment. Um, might end up being sellers now at the trading deadline. I mean, maybe you unload a Scherzer or a Verlander. It all depends on how close they can get to a possible wild card spot because we know the wild card opens it up for a lot of teams and you're not really out of it because they're getting you know they're taking three wild card teams now in each league. So when you look at it right now, if you look at the standings, yes, the Mets are terrible and the Mets are currently 18 and a half games out of first place and they're eight games under 500. But if you go to the wild card standings, they're eight games out of the wild card. But they'd have to jump one, two, three, four, five, five teams. So they're probably going to be sellers. I mean, they would have to go in the month of July, they would probably have to go 20 and 10. And who knows if they can even do that. And, and even if you go 20 and 10, how many games are you going to make up on the five teams in front of you? The Brewers, Reds, Phillies, Pirates, and Cubs. We don't know. Well, we don't even know if the Mets can go 20 and 10 in a month. So I just I just did not realize I didn't know it was possible to go from three and a half games out at the beginning of a month to 18 and a half out at the end of a month. That is crazy to me. One other baseball note, and you know, I talked last week about Alex Manoa of the Toronto Blue Jays, who for two years was really good and then now can't get anybody out, and now he's playing um you know, complex league baseball and, you know, which is like lower than a ball right now. And you're just like, how does that happen? How do you lose it like that so quickly? And I don't want to say this guy has lost it this quickly, but the National League Cy Young Award winner last year came from Miami Marlins, and that was Sandy Alcantara. And Sandy Alcantara last year for the Marlins he went 14-9, and nine, but he had a 2.28 ERA, made all of his starts. He threw six complete games, which led the majors. He threw 228 innings, which led all of baseball. And he only gave up 174 hits and also struck out 207. This year, 3-6. and six. His ERA is 4.82, so it's twice as much as it was last year. Last year in 228 innings, which I said was a major league leading 228 innings pitched, he gave up 58 earned runs last year. In 102 innings this year, he's given up 55. Like, 
and you wonder, like, and he was getting better. I mean, last year, let's face it, kind of came out of nowhere. He always had good stuff. He always had a low ERA. He played for the Marlins, so his record was never really good. He was a 500 pitcher, basically. Um, uh, he was an under 500 pitcher going into last year, and he finished 14 and nine, which was a good record. But you know, I judge major league pitchers off their ERA because that shows how many actual runs they're giving up. Not because you could give up one run a start and go 0 and five if your team gets shut out every time you pitch. So ERA is a better indicator than wins for me of how good of a pitcher you are. And in 228 innings, only giving up 58 earned runs and only 174 hits. Like, that is huge. And then your whip, obviously, is a big one. His whip was under one. His whip was .98 last year. He was awesome. His whip this year is 1.247. Like, that's a huge jump. He's given up 55 runs this year and 102 innings. He gave up 58 all of last year. It's like, what happens to these guys? How did he get so bad in one year? Less than a year. I, I don't know, but I can't say that I'm disappointed because he's not on my fantasy team, so I don't care. Somebody I know spent a lot of money on him in my fantasy league, and he's doing nothing for him. You know, by the way, I'm in second place on my fantasy, and I have eight guys currently on my team that are all-stars. Five of them are starting. I like them apples. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. You follow along in Apple Podcasts. It's the best thing you can do for the podcast because it helps. If you want to rate and review, give me a five-star. Give me a nice rating. Give me a nice review. I'd appreciate that as well. But I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.